0: What's the real cost behind fast fashion? Stay tuned to find out. I'm Valentina and welcome to my life without plastic. Hello, hello, my eco-fans. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode. I hope you're all doing great. Happy May! another day, another new month of this beautiful year. <laughs> well, let me tell you, today I'm coming at you with some hot, hot tea. And today's tea that I'm drinking is actually a minty green tea. <laughs> and let me tell you, this tea has a very subtle kick to it. So it's exactly what I need for today's topic. (laughs) Because trust me, today is a heavy one. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm not trying to scare you away. So I tried to put all of these things together in the easiest way possible to understand. So please be patient. Um, I've tried to digest this entire information in the best way possible for you. And today... We will be talking about, you guessed it right, fast fashion. <laughs> Finally, the time has come for us to drum rolls look in the mirror. <laughs> I know this is not what you expected me to say. I know that it hurts a little bit, but a little self reflecting is always good. And let me be super upfront with you, out of all areas in sustainability and fast fashion and, you know, all of the little adjustments that I've tried to do myself to help the environment and live a more sustainable lifestyle, this has been by far one of the hardest one for me to fight. So I feel your pain. This is a judgment-free zone, I'm not judging anyone for buying fast fashion clothing or for fighting it, so I really don't want to be dramatic about it. We all know right now that on this channel we try to find the middle ground and understand all perspectives, and this is exactly what we're going to do today. So you're going to expect to hear some really bad stuff about the clothes in your closet, But also some opinions that, you know, are not entirely against fast fashion. And we're going to talk about them and see why. So either way, you can expect to get challenged. So be ready. I'm warning you. (laughs) Like always, I'm asking you to keep an open mind, Um, you know, during today's topic, especially because it's kind of a controversial one, you know. And like always, I hope that this episode is going to provoke you to also do your own research. I think that that's very important with every topic that we talk about. My goal here is to really share some facts that I found, you know, interesting and thought provoking. But the next step would be for you to conduct your own research and make up your own mind about a lot of these issues, you know. Okay, but... Enough chit chatting. Uh, you know, I want to jump right into this topic because we've got a lot, a lot to talk about. Um, but where do we start, right? I, I think that first and foremost, let's answer one very important question, which is what exactly is fast fashion? Um, you know, this term is just being thrown around and used so freely. So, what exactly is it? What does it stand for? Well, Fast fashion has become more prominent in conversations surrounding fashion, sustainability, and environmental consciousness. The term refers to cheaply produced and priced garments that copy the latest catwalk styles and get pumped quickly through stores in order to maximize on current trends. (laughs) All right, so before we start dissecting this phenomenon... Let's first have a quick history lesson. I think that it's very interesting to travel back in time, and this time we're going to go back roughly 200 years, and see how your impulsive shopping decisions actually came to be. I found that super interesting, so love it or hate it, fast fashion has completely changed how consumers make purchases. But have you ever wondered how it all began? The concept of fast fashion is wildly regarded as being a fairly new concept that originated from brands like Zara being able to sell trends at record speed for affordable prices. But fast fashion is really just a term given to constantly evolving production system that has been gaining momentum since the 1800s. So, outside of couture houses, localized dressmaking businesses were responsible for making clothing for middle class women, while women of lower incomes continued to make their own clothing. Local dressmaking businesses typically included a team of workroom employees, although some aspects of production were outsourced to sweaters. Um, And that's also very interesting, I think, that this term sweaters has stayed and has become what we know as sweatshops. So sweaters were people who worked from home for very low wages. So although these types of operations were mostly localized, the practice of using sweaters, aka pretty much outsourcing your production effort for a lower cost, so this Um, practice in the 1800s provides a small glimpse of what would eventually become the basis of most modern clothing production. Now let's jump to the 1900s to 1950s. Despite the increasing number of garment factories and sewing innovations, a great deal of clothing production was still done in the home or in small workshops throughout the beginning of the 20th century. The fabric restrictions and more functional styles that were made necessary by World War II led to an increase in standardized production for all clothing. And if you're someone who's interested in fashion, you may have heard that because of the lack of fabric, fashion became a lot more simplistic after the war. But the standardization of clothing was also a big factor, right? So middle-class consumers became more receptive to the value of purchasing mass-produced clothing after the war, rather than being, you know, um, rather than getting a custom-made piece of clothing. Now, looking at the 1960s to the early 2000s, if you've ever wondered when fashion trends actually began moving at dizzying speed, it was the 60s the 1960s, as young people embraced cheaply made clothing to follow these new trends and reject the traditional, you know, uh, way of dealing with clothes of older generations. So soon fashion brands had to find ways to keep up with this increasing demand for affordable clothing, leading to massive textile mills opening across the developing world, which allowed the United States and European uh, you know, companies to save millions of dollars by outsourcing their labor. But who became the first true fast fashion retailer? And the answer is not very clear, as many of the companies that we know nowadays as leaders in the industry, like Zara, H&M, Topshop, Primark, all of them started as small shops in Europe around the mid-20th century. Although it is difficult to pinpoint the origins of fast fashion as we know it today, it's easy to understand how the phenomenon caught on. In the late 90s and the early 2000s, it became increasingly more acceptable and also desirable to flaunt one's love for low-cost fashion, um, you know, and was seen as especially savvy to be able to mix high and low fashion. So when the first H&M location in the United States, for example, opened up in April 2000, the New York Times wrote that the retailer had arrived at the right time as consumers had just recently become more likely to hunt for bargains and dismiss department stores, stating that it was now chic to pay less. (laughs) Well, I guess um, this gives you a pretty good understanding of how things developed from wanting to have custom-designed pieces of clothing to now just really wanting to buy, a, you know, something from the shelves of H and M or Forever Twenty One that looks pretty trendy and pretty close to what a, you know some celebrities have worn, um, and it probably is just a fraction of the price. Um, And probably the fraction of the quality as well. (laughs) So now that we understand how our impulsive fast fashion decisions came to be, let's also take a look at some of the consequences, right? Because as we say, all our decisions have consequences. And I want to start um, with some must-know facts, just because I feel like they would help us put some things a little more into perspective because it's fairly easy for fast fashion clothing retailers to make cheap and fashionable clothing, but the cost comes at a high price. So let's see, what are we really paying for when we go and buy this 2 $3 t-shirt, right? Well, let's start with a simple fact, which is that one in six people in the world work in a fashion-related job. Fashion is a complex global industry that employs one in six people worldwide, including some of the world's highest and some of the world's lowest paid individuals. Unfortunately, the COVID-19 pandemic has only widened the wealth gap in the fashion industry. Many major uh, fashion brands and retailers have canceled upcoming orders and stopped payments on previous orders, all without taking any responsibility for the impact of their actions. In Garment Worker Diaries study conducted in April 2020, only 3% of Bangladeshi garment workers said that they were eating an adequate amount of food and the median monthly work hours dropped from over 250 to 43. So as you see, you know, this has had an immense impact on um, all of these workers that work in those factories. Um, it, It seems like they went from being overworked to not even working enough to be able to feed themselves or their families, which is of course extremely sad. And then going um, off of that, the next fact that I wanted to share is that 93% of brands aren't paying their garment workers a living wage. And yeah, you heard that right. 93% of the brands surveyed by fashion checker aren't paying their garment workers a living wage. And only five of the 250 large brands surveyed in the 2020 Fashion Transparency Index publish a time-bound, measurable roadmap or strategy for how they will achieve a living wage for all workers across their supply chain. And um, just to clarify, living wages are... Uh, described as earnings sufficient to afford a decent standard of living for workers and their families. Um, Those are recognized by the UN as a fundamental human right. This amount should be earnable in a standard work week of no more than 48 hours and include enough to cover food, water, housing, healthcare, education, and transportation with enough left over to save for unexpected events. So we're saying that only 5 out of 250 large brands have actually put a strategy together of how they're going to achieve a living wage for everyone in their supply chain. Um, It's very important to understand when we try to say to fight for le- living wage for people across the supply chain it doesn't mean everyone needs to earn the salary that a US worker would earn obviously that's being identified by the country they live in but even then what they earn is not a living wage so i think that it's super crucial to keep those facts in mind next one 100 billion items of clothing are produced each year yes We're talking about a 100 billion items of clothing. Overproduction and overconsumption are two of the worst side effects of the fast fashion industry. Over the past 20 years, clothing production and consumption have doubled, yet consumers keep their clothes only half as long. A mind-boggling 100 billion clothing items are produced annually that's nearly 14 items for every person on the planet and let's jump right straight to um you know the next fact three out of five fas- fast fashion garments end up in a landfill within a year of purchase actually most fast fashion garments are discarded after only seven or eight wears and you're honestly lucky if some of those fast fashion items even last that long because let's be honest the quality is questionable to say the least so the fashion industry is responsible for an estimated eight to ten percent of global greenhouse gas emissions It's hardly a secret anymore that fashion is one of the most polluting industries in the world. According to the UN Alliance for Sustainable Fashion, fashion was responsible for 8-10% to of global carbon emissions in 2019, more than all international flights and maritime shipping combined. Perhaps the most alarming fast fashion statistic of all is that the apparel industry's climate impact is expected to increase by 49% by 2030, meaning that fashion alone will emit 4.9 metric gigatons of CO2. Have you ever heard of that gigatons? It's literally the first time I hear of it. I didn't even know that such a big number ever existed. So this is nearly equal to today's total annual U.S. greenhouse gas emission. So we are saying that in the very near future, um, you know, the fashion industry alone could be producing as much CO2 as an entire country the size of the United States. So I think that's massive. Um, Another must-know fact, over a third of all microplastics in the ocean come from synthetic textiles. We talked briefly about microplastics in my plastics episode, but we primarily discussed beauty products that uh, contribute to microplastics pollution. Now, did you know that every time you wash your favorite Lululemon leggings or even Patagonia fleece jacket, can you believe that? Yes, you heard that right. Patagonia is not free of it. It sheds countless tiny pieces of plastic. Any garment made from from synthetic fabrics, aka petroleum-based, aka fossil fuels. (laughs) So anything made from that material will shed millions of microplastics over its lifetime. Uh, multiply that number now by the billions and billions of polyester garments hanging in closets all across the globe, and you'll begin to understand how the fast uh, the fashion industry is responsible for over a third of all microplastics in the ocean. Um, you know, I think that this is definitely a very intense fact to think about that um, is something that's not visible. It's something that you don't really imagine even, right? Like every time that you wash your clothes, you don't think that, oh, my clothes shed microplastics into the water and now this water from the washing machine is going to end up delivering so many microplastics into the ocean. It's crazy to think that even, I guess, passive actions or Not sure if passive is the right word, but actions that we don't even connect necessarily with the environment or sustainability or whatever um, in that regard still have an impact. I think that that's really insane. Another fact is that polyester takes over 200 years to decompose. Each year, nearly 70 million barrels of crude oil are used to make the most common clothing fiber in the world, polyester. Over half of the fabrics used by fast fashion retailers are derived from petrochemicals, the same stuff used to make everything from car bumpers to plastic Tupperware to plant fertilizers. But when thrown in landfill, polyester takes more than 200 years to decompose. So remember, the apparel we purchase now will quite literally outlive our great, 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 great grandchildren. And on to the next fact only 13% of clothing and footwear is recycled. Um, I know we touched base a little bit on that last episode when we talked about donating as an option, donating clothes specifically. But according to the UN, over 21 billion tons of textiles are sent to landfills each year globally. Alarmingly, Americans throw away around 70 pounds of clothing per person per year. That's a lot of clothes. And as we mentioned, you know, last episode, um, roughly 12% of clothing and footwear ends up being recycled. So between 12 and 13 is where the number uh, fluctuates. So many fast fashion brands now offer what could be considered a greenwashing recycling program that only further the, you know, overconsumption plague of consumer culture. Because people think that, you know, I'm recycling the clothes, therefore uh, I can get new clothes guilt-free. But in reality, even if you drop off your clothes in those recycling bins, a, it's a very low chance that they're actually going to end up being recycled. When you, you know, when we talk about only roughly thirteen percent of all clothes being able to be recycled, and you know, hold that thought. I know that a lot is going on in your mind right now. But we're not going to get into that tea today because that's for a whole different episode. We're going to talk about greenwashing and brands pretending to be sustainable very, very soon. So let's leave that for another time and jump to the next fact, which is it takes over 1,800 gallons of water to produce a pair of jeans. A lot of people think that cotton is a sustainable fabric, And while it is more sustainable than synthetic fabrics like polyester and acrylic, it requires a lot of water. So according to the UN Alliance for Sustainable Fashion, the fashion industry is the second biggest consumer of water and is responsible for around 20% of the world's wastewater. To make one cotton t-shirt, it takes 713 gallons of water, which is enough drinking water for a person to live on for roughly 2.5 years. And it takes 1,800 gallons of water to produce just one pair of jeans. So imagine that's over five years of drinking water for one single person. Now, um, I think that this was like a pretty good brief overview of different facts of how fast fashion impacts different areas, like living wages for people, the environment, you know, anything from the production process to the selling process. I think, I hope these facts helped you put some things into perspective and, you know, see... Um, the impact fast fashion can have on those different areas. But I really wanted to take a slightly deeper look into two specific areas, which is obviously the environment. This is what we're here to talk about, but also the people, which I think are obviously an important part of the environment. We can't think about the environment and not think about the people behind it or the people supporting it and living in it. So let's let's start um, talking a little bit about uh, deeper about water because I mentioned water being a factor there, not just in the way that water is being used for you know for the production itself, but also um, the wastewater that that comes into play because of fast fashion. So. I actually did a whole episode on water, so I'm not going to repeat myself too much here. Um, You can totally tune in to learn some interesting facts about water and how we use it if there's enough water on this earth for us and so on. Um, But I did want to point out something besides the amount of water used to produce fast fashion clothing. I wanted to also shed light on the way water is being used. So... Textile dyeing requires toxic chemicals that subsequently end up in our oceans. Um, Approximately 20% of the wastewater worldwide is attributed to this process, which accumulates over time. As many factories moved overseas, they are mostly located in countries without strict environmental regulations, resulting in untreated water entering the ocean's Pretty much daily. And regrettably, the wastewater created is extremely toxic and in many cases actually cannot be treated to become safe again. The World Bank has identified 72 toxic chemicals that end up in waterways from textile dyeing. Wastewater disposal is rarely regulated or monitored, meaning fast fashion brands and factory owners are left unaccountable. Water contamination destroyed uh, or is also still destroying local environments of garment-producing nations such as Bangladesh. So um, obviously, I mentioned that people and the environment obviously go hand in hand. We can't try to protect the environment and disregard people just like we cannot continue harming the environment and thinking that people are going to be okay. And Bangladesh is a very good example of these consequences that we're already seeing and people are already experiencing firsthand over there. Bangladesh is the world's second biggest garment exporter with apparel reaching thousands of stores across the United States and Europe. But the country's waterways have been polluted for years by garment operations, textile mills, and dyeing plants. A recent article from CNN revealed the impact of water pollution um, on local residents who live near Bangladesh's largest garment manufacturing district. Residents say the waters now have a pitch black color and there are no fish. The kids get sick if they stay here, one man told CNN, explaining that his two children and grandson are unable to live with him because of the water. Chemical, um, Latin, chemical Latin water kills plants and animals in or near the waterways. So, you know, plants and animals don't even have to be in the water, To be affected, they can simply be near the water and get affected as well. So this is obviously destroying ecosystem biodiversity in all of these areas. The dying chemicals also have significant human health impacts and have been linked to forms of cancer, gastrointestinal problems, and skin irritation. The harmful chemicals get into the food system when polluted water is used to irrigate crops and contaminates vegetables and fruits as well. Employees in the garment factories are often left unprotected from the harmful dyes. People don't have gloves or sandals, they're barefoot, they don't have masks, and they're working with dangerous chemicals or dyes in a a congested area. They're like sweat factories. Um, And this is a direct quote from Ridwanu Hake, chief executive of the dhaka based NGO Agroho. And um, it was shared in an article with the CNN as well. So governments and brands have sought to clean up waterways um, and regulate dye water disposal after pressure from consumers and advocacy groups like Agroho. In recent years, China, for example, has enacted environmental policies to crack down on textile dye pollution. But while some regions saw great improvement in water quality, water pollution still remains a significant problem across the country. All right, so (laughs) I think that we need to just take a little breather um, that was a lot of information and specifically a lot of negative facts. I hope that these statistic, uh, statistics that I shared with you showed you guys um, how things really are and I hope that they were just as eye-opening o- eye for you as they were for me when I first started digging deeper into this topic. Um, I really think that this was obviously a lot of information so I genuinely encourage you to look into some of that information in more details on your own time. Um, I think it's important to understand the relationship between the environment and the people living in that environment um, and kind of understand why we continue supporting fast fashion when it's pretty much obvious that fast fashion definitely has an immense uh, impact on our climate, an even bigger impact on people's lives, experiencing it firsthand um, in their every single day. So of course, you know by now where we're going. <laughs> I hope you know me well enough to know what's coming up. And of course, that's some conspiracy. <laughs> so the entire episode we've been focusing on the negative consequences of fast fashion. I really tried to put things into perspective for you, give you a little bit of a background um, and help you understand why we started seeing fast fashion as such an integral part of our lives and why now we're realizing that it's really harming us in a lot of different ways. Nevertheless, I have to say that there's always two sides for every coin and this is no different than any other coin. Um, And I personally love looking at both sides and just understanding why people think differently um, and trying to put myself in their shoes and understand why their opinions are different from mine. So I did find some interesting opinions that I wanted to share with you. And guess where I found them? On Reddit, of course. Where else? (laughs) So um, here we go. Let me start with the first one. I'm going to try to first like go through them and then we'll analyze them together a little bit as well. Okay, so here's the first one. Is fast fashion really fast fashion if you get years of use out of your garments? Over the last year, I've gotten much more interested in sustainable and ethical clothing and have immersed myself in researching these topics. Questions like, is X ethical? Is X sustainable? Where can I buy affordable but ethical clothing? plague my google search history same girl same so this person continues on to explain as a 24 year old who is finally making a decent salary but has been primarily a fast fashion consumer up until a year ago or so i want to do and be better but a point I've seen made many times while reading countless articles about clothing manufacturing ethics and sustainability. Is that by definition, fast fashion is bad because it's not made to last and is made for mass consumption. Trendy pieces and cheaply made pieces made to last maybe a season or two. So, where does this leave consumers? who have a closet full of items purchased at fast fashion retailers but rarely makes new purchases and many of their current pieces have contain- have remained in their closet for years. Obviously, the issue is layered and nuanced. Sure, maybe I have a fast fashion t-shirt that cost me $3 that I've gotten three years of wear out of, but obviously a $3 shirt wasn't made sustainably or ethically. But is there a point where the trade-off of ethics and sustainability becomes worth it? Is the fast fashion buyer who makes new purchases maybe a few times a year and keeps that clothing for years better or worse than the mid-range clothing buyer who buys clothing monthly or maybe even more and gets fewer uses out of each article of clothing? This topic bothers me because I feel like there's no good choices unless you have dollars to spend um, on the few brands that are sustainable and ethical. Is Aritzia or J Crew that much more than Forever 21 or Fashion Nova? Is the clothing quality that much better that it warrants a 300 plus percent price increase? Are there Ethics and sustainability practices better? Even luxury and designer brands have questionable histories like Chanel. It's just so frustrating. I feel like in the last year or two in particular, there has been a sharp upstick in clothing boutiques and online-only clothing stores, which just muddy the waters further and make the shopping process that much more confusing for the average consumer. What do you guys think? Um, so this was the first opinion that um, we're going to be taking a look at. So I feel like, honestly, this is a valid point. The reality is a lot of people, even if they want it, they would not be able to afford most of these so-called sustainable and ethical brands. And that leaves them with buying maybe secondhand as their next best option. But let's be honest, thrift stores can be intimidating when you first walk into one. Also, some people just have a different mindset and they think, am I going to spend $5 on a used shirt or am I going to buy a new shirt with $5? Um, So that's also not a point, the mindset people carry. Not everyone feels okay with wearing used clothes. And again, who are we to judge? Everyone is in a different living situation. Another thing is not all thrift stores are cheap. There's a fair share of secondhand shops that definitely sells, you know, uh, pieces at a very high price, uh, much higher than expected. So definitely, I think that this opinion is some food for thought. There's definitely something into it um is it bad to buy fast fashion clothing if you are the kind of person who doesn't necessarily care about all 24 seasons of fashion or however many they are by now in the year and maybe you can wear that shirt for three four five six years who knows I totally have uh clothing literally from back in high school that's still sitting in my closet so I think that it's you know totally understandable that there's no, there's not always an extreme, right? Uh, not everyone is buying fast fashion and throwing it away after four or five uses. Some people do keep those clothing um, clothing items for a very long time. And I think it's just a very complex um, thing to answer because, as I mentioned before, there are multiple factors when it comes to fast fashion. It's not only a matter of the life cycle of the clothes, but also their environmental and humanitarian impact during their production and distribution process. So which part of the process are you going to care more about? The fact that a lot of fast fashion clothing is cheap and flimsy and thus, you know, uh, breaks faster, is thrown away faster, which obviously contributes to the waste in our landfills overall. Or are you going to worry more about The production process, people not being paid living wages, um, the water is being polluted through chemicals and so on. So there's definitely a lot to think about and consider. It's not a simple yes or no question, right? So that being said, let's take a look at the second opinion and see what the second person has to say. People who buy from fast fashion brands are not bad people. Also, small businesses are risky and sometimes no better. Hmm, that sounds spicy there, girl. So fast fashion brands are websites such as Sheen, Zeyfoo, Fashion Nova, and even Amazon. All of these are considered fast fashion websites. It means the products are typically produced cheaply in huge quantities, usually at sweatshops or labor factories. My opinion is that, is this, if someone buys from Fashion Nova or Shein, they're not a bad person or don't care about the environment. These websites have nice products, in my experience, that look like the picture and are extremely cheap. Some people do not have the money or time to buy from local thrift stores, small businesses, or stores who promise they're la- uh, labor-free, which I've never actually seen one. People want nice fashionable clothes and fast fashion sites can have those all while being cheap. They also go up to very big sizes sometimes too. This isn't a promotion of fast fashion sites though. My point is that the people who buy from them have their reasons. And it's not fair to shame someone from buying from these places a lot of time the the person doesn't even know it's not like the site says made in a legal sweatshop which may even be a, st- a stretch i've seen so many people on tiktok or instagram shame people for buying these from these sites i'm sorry but these people but but these sites provide options to people who can't afford expensive things amazon is somewhat of a different story because there are hundreds of sellers on the site so each shop may be different but amazon in general is often shamed on now uh, because it is a billion dollar industry people don't like jeff bezos and more amazon is the fastest delivery service and provides things like diapers and such and such the same day to those who can't find the time to drive to the market It would be wrong to boycott a website that provides this stuff to people struggling. Amazon also has cheap options. Lastly, some small businesses are not all they claim to be. I know the biggest trend now on social media is to only buy from small businesses. In my experience, small businesses have sent me items that were probably bulk bought from factories. For example, I got a pink skirt for $25 from a small business. It was... it had bad quality, and um, the same skirt was sold on Amazon for $10. Maybe it was my bad experience. Those small businesses that sell jewelry or charms have to get their materials from somewhere, and it's probably the same factory Sheen or Amazon gets theirs from. Art Handmail Small Businesses are the only small businesses worth supporting if you want to claim small business are always cruelty-free. In closing, sorry this was very long and also don't shame people for buying innocent stuff from the internet because you don't like it, it is fast fashion. It is a uh, company's fault for setting it up that way in the first place, not the consumer' fault, that it has become their only affordable option. So, this was the second opinion. Now, I try to just quickly read through it, but let's um, dissect it a little bit. I actually think that the second opinion did bring some valid points as well, right? So one of the things that I took away from this was larger sizes in clothing. Um, And let's be honest, this is very important. I mean, we are finally getting to a point that we are trying to break free from standardized beauty and clothing patterns. That means being able to embrace different shapes and sizes through fashion. It is a fact that some of those, um, you know, fast fashion sites do a pretty good job and provide, you know, fashionable, trendy clothing for different body types. And this is something that we can't not acknowledge, like it is a fact, um, that now more than ever people, women specifically, but people in general, um, from all body sizes and shapes have access to, you know, the biggest, newest trends. Um, and I think that's exciting for a lot of people. Another important point that this opinion brought up, how trustworthy are actually small businesses, Are they actually sustainable and ethical as they claim? Or are they just reselling the same products for higher prices? That's also a very interesting thing um, to look into. And I have heard from friends who have bought stuff from Etsy thinking that they're supporting a small business and then their order would take like three months and end up getting shipped from China. So you know definitely an interesting thing to consider as well which kind of small businesses are we supporting and i feel like it's very important to ask ask ourselves this question and it's a very 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 tough question but we have to acknowledge and think about if fast fashion actually brought somewhat more equality In different ways to the fashion world, you know, lower income people now can afford buying pretty darn good clothes at a very affordable price, you know, clothes that we typically see celebrities wear are available at a very, you know, much uh, cheaper version at those fast fashion retailer stores. So that's one thing. But also, like I mentioned, people from different body uh, shapes and sizes can now find clothes that they genuinely love, trendy clothes that they identify with and want to have in their wardrobe, want to have them fit their body type and shape. Um, And so now they're included in that fashion industry as well. They're not outsiders anymore. They don't have to diet and fit a certain standard to get access to those clothing, no, they can log online and r- buy it right away. So, you know, I think that is interesting to think. Like, did it bring some sort of equality? Did it, or more freedom, if not equality, um, to lower income people and people who were up until now considered like outcasters um, in the fashion industry because of different aspects in their lives? Maybe. So, I do agree with this opinion a little bit that specifically that it's not a matter of simply shaming the consumer but it's even more important to keep the companies accountable i have to say though yes while we need to keep these companies accountable for their actions we also have to keep ourselves accountable for educating ourselves and making conscious consumer decisions. Just because a site doesn't say that their products come from an illegal sweatshop, it's not an excuse for us to not do our own research. And the same goes for ethical stores. Just because they put some labels and stickers on their clothing, and and their website doesn't you know their website says that they're ethical and sustainable, it doesn't mean that we can simply trust them. We still have to do our own research there as well. So, I think I'm gonna leave you guys with this uh, for today. Uh, I hope that you can ask yourself a couple of questions that are very, very crucial after today's topic. I think that most importantly, we need to ask ourselves, at what cost do we get those cheaply priced clothes? So, you know, this is not about us never buying a single piece of fast fashion item ever again. It's about us being aware that there is a person somewhere in Bangladesh sewing this shirt for me. I acknowledge their presence. I acknowledge their hardship. Will I take any actions to fight fast fashion? Am I going to reduce the amount of clothing I buy? Or maybe am I the kind of person who can ditch fast fashion altogether? Or am I just going to continue buying those clothes because I love them? Either way, I will be making a conscious decision and will not be ignorant towards the problem. I truly hope that this is a takeaway that you get from this episode. Um, And again, please go on and do more research. Look into the brands that you buy typically. Open your closet. I challenge you, pick an item that's been sitting there and find out where it comes from. Find out what it took for this piece of clothing to come all the way to your closet. And don't worry about ethical fashion because we'll be talking about it next. (laughs) Next week, we're going to take a very, very deep look into how ethical ethical fashion is. Um, Is it really ethical or is there some shady stuff going on? (laughs) Is it the best way to fight fast fashion or are there better ways than ethical fashion? Uh, we're gonna answer these and more in next week's episode. I guess you'll need to have to stay tuned to find out more. So I'll see you all then. Bye.